0: Hey everyone, welcome to Reveal. I'm so glad that you are here. My name is Marty. I'm one of the pastors at Reveal. Uh, by now you probably heard the disappointing news that we had to postpone our grand reopening in light of the uh, what hospitals are saying and in light of the new cases that have spiked uh, we thought it was just wise to kind of pull back and postpone that. I know it is difficult. Uh, it is frustrating. I know many of you are disappointed, but I thought it was wise to err on the side of caution. Uh, for myself, I've kind of moved on with life, right? I'm uh, I'm a little older. My kids are grown. I move on with life, and uh, I take the basic precautions and go on. Corona is just one of those uh, challenges that I'm going to have to face. But as a leader of the church it's a little bit more complicated because now I have to take into account our uh, staff and our large team of volunteers and the general congregation as well as our community. And when all of those things were placed on the scale, it just kind of tipped it towards caution. So um hopefully we'll be opening soon. We will monitor it. Our staff will gather back together on Tuesday, kind of see what's going on. Please know that I had numerous, numerous, numerous conversations with people in ministry, both in and out of the medical profession, people who are close to me, and all of them said, I just think it's wise to kind of pull back and put this on hold. So when when we start again, I'm not exactly sure. I hope it's really soon. I will let you know when we will have our grand re Reopening. All right, uh, I'm always excited when we start a new series. Uh, as we wade into the waters today, let me just kind of remind you of something that I shared with you recently as it'll lay a foundation for our series. Uh, after the death of Moses, Joshua was appointed as the leader over Israel, and he was given the task to lead the Israelites into the land of promise, and his future looked really good. I mean, listen to some of what God spoke over him. Talk about having some muscle behind the hustle. God told Joshua to be strong and courageous. Why? Because I will be with you always. God told Joshua that uh, no one will be able to stand against you. He said, wherever you place your feet, that is the land that I am giving you. Those are some pretty good promises to wake up to. Just before going into battle, the battle of Jericho, he had an encounter with an angelic being. Now, the only thing more frightening than an encounter with an angelic being is an angel with a drawn sword, and that's exactly what Joshua ran into. And so he sheepishly, I'm sure, asked an important question where he said, hey, are you for us or for our enemies? Now, catch that because it's going to be important. Are you for us Or for our enemies? This has been the question that has been asked since the fall of man. Are you on our side or are you on their side? Are you in our camp or are you on their camp? Does your jersey say Israel or does it say Jericho? Let us know. Whose side are you on? In other words, he was saying, look, option one, you can be on our side. Option two, you can be on their side. And notice what the angel said. Are you for us or for our enemy? And he said, no. It reminds me of when my kids were babies, and we'd say, do you want carrots or green beans? No. All right, this what they were saying is, neither of your options are suitable. Neither of your options are acceptable. And that's kind of what this angel was saying. Who, whose side are you on? He's like, neither. No, no. Look what he goes on to say, verse 5. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy now catch what's going on here right he's saying that look if it's between option one you or option two your your enemy i'm choosing option three i'm choosing to land on the side of god matter of fact so much so that you need to take off your shoes because the side that i'm on is holy ground so take off your shoes are you on our side or are you on their side It's a question as old as time. Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel. Why? Because in part, he felt that God was on his brother's side. Culture is always going to push us into one of two camps. It is either us or them. Culture is going to drive you to choose. Think about that. Option one, are you on our side? Or option two, are you on their side? Are are you for someone or are you against someone? Do you agree with us or do you agree with them? The world is always going to limit our choices. But can I remind you that as Christ-minded individuals, we are not of this world. That's what Scripture tells us. And so, so, listen, that's important. When given the option between one and two, those who are not of this world, choose option three. I'm glad that you're with us for a new series called Option 3. We're going to explore what this uh, third option is and what that looks like and and how we can move away from, from the two options that culture gives us and land on the side of God. So when culture asks you, are you for us or are you for them, we can say, no, neither. I am for God. What this means is that as kingdom people, our worldview is not formed by conservative or liberal agendas or ideologies, that we do not breathe and move and love and live out of an ethos that is birthed out of a political party or an education system or even what is popular, uh, the popular opinion and culture. See, perhaps more than any other time in culture, I think we're witnessing something. Society has been divided. I should say perhaps... Um, in no other time in my lifetime as am I witnessing something happening in culture. Culture is divided sharply. Lines have been drawn. The enemy has been identified. And the great divide is just further widened by anger and fueled by violence and hatred and all kinds of things shouted across the enemy's lines. And at the heart of this disdain At the heart of our anger is this question Are you for us or are you for them? Whose side are you on? Do you agree with this news channel or do you agree with that news channel? Do you adhere to this ideology or that ideology? Are you for this policy or that policy? Pick a side. Are you for us or are you for them? Because the side that you choose will not only clarify your opinion, but it will determine if you are friend or foe. How did we get here? How did we get to this point? Well, to find that answer, we have to go back to the beginning. And Scripture tells us that, that when sin entered into the equation, when sin became a part of the human condition, it left us divided and left us separated. Look, look at just three of these areas. We have been separated by God. It is the result of sin. But not only have we been separated from God, we have been separated from ourselves, So not only have we gone into hiding because of sin and and we're separated from God, but now we have turned on ourselves, we become haters of self. Hey, no one can pick me apart like the voices in my head. So we have been separated from God, separated from ourselves, and we have been in fact separated from others, that we've been separated from humanity. It's all a result of sin. And and now we're left with the effects. We're, we're quick to turn on one another and establish social pecking orders, and we're swift to label who's in and who's out, who's like us and who is different. We scorn what we do not understand. It's part of the human condition. Throughout history, throughout history, we know that we've established systems of oppression, allowing one group to thrive and another group to die. Understand, this is the resting position of the human soul. This is what we are like without Christ coming in to regenerate us. This is our normal drift. This means, this is important, this means that we will have a constant pull to surround ourselves with what we understand and what is familiar and what is like us because because we we've been separated from humanity and so now we look for what is comfortable and what is comfortable is what I'm familiar with is what I am like is those who have the same ideologies the same thinking those that look like me and and sociologists calls this groupings understand this that a social group is formed on the basis of mutual expectations and with those who share a common identity, right? It's a grouping. It's, it's a social group. Now, social groups can further be broken down into primary and secondary groups and social categories and social aggregates, but for the sake of this message, we're going to keep it simple. Groupings is how uh, I identify who is like me and who is not like me. And we all fit into various groupings. Every one of us, matter of fact, we have numerous groupings. It can be the grouping of family. It can be the grouping of friends. It can be um, things that you have in common with people. If you are a freshman in college, that is your group. Because there are things that resonate with you. There are things that are familiar with you. There are things uh, that you identify with that other freshmen are going through. That is your group. If you have an AARP card, which I don't as of yet thank God. If you have an AARP card, uh, that is your group. There are things that are familiar with you in that group. If you're a mom, that is a group because there are things that you relate to that other moms are going through. If you're a gearhead, that's your group. You resonate with other gearheads. If you're a Cardinals fan, that's your group. You share common interests. It might be your political party, that's your group. It might even be your church. We're all involved in numerous numerous groups. Uh, This is what's known as in-groups. Whatever group you're in that has commonality, where you share a common interest, uh, uh, where you share a common identity, it is known as an in-group. And we are very familiar with our in-groups, right? We understand them because we are the in-group. That means we understand how they think and what they do and how they dress and how they believe and how they will respond in various situations. The people who are not in our in-group is known as an out-group. So catch where we're going. There is an in-group and there is an out-group. People who are not in the in-group, people that we don't have things in common with, things that we do not identify with, they are in an out-group. And, and that can be many different people. And now, typically, we don't understand the position of those in our out group because we've never been in that out group. Like, how could you possibly be a Cowboys fan? I mean, really? There's 31 other teams to choose from, and yet you picked, right? Right? Right, That's an out-group. That's why there's a clash in, in, among Fort sports fanatics, because there's an in-group and there is an out-group. But the reason that we do not understand the thoughts and the feelings of those who are not in our in-group is because we only spend time with those who are in our in-group. And it's all that we know it's all that is familiar with us. and so we don't spend time with our outgroup so we don't know our outgroup but here's the thing we think that we know our outgroup. we're pretty sure that we have them figured out. Right, We have little pieces of information, information that we've gathered from family or friends, things that you've heard uh, through the grapevines or maybe what your parents taught you or things that maybe you've read on social media or the latest meme that's making its way around Instagram or a headline from your favorite news source. All of this, all of this goes into forming uh, our worldview and it becomes the lens by which we view, catch this, it becomes the lens by which we view those people, the people in outgroups, the people that we don't understand, the people that we don't relate to. So, so, so catch where I'm going with this, okay? There is the in-group, easy to understand, right? Whatever is your in-group, you get those people because they think like me, they have common interests, common experiences. We're the same in, in many aspects. The outgroup is a little bit more difficult to understand, right? Because I don't spend time with my out-group, right? I know very little about that out-group. So in an attempt to understand my out-group, I do what we all do. I stereotype, Right? We paint with these broad strokes in effort to say that we understand the people that we don't spend any time with, that we understand their story, we understand their plight, we understand their struggle, we understand their views, but we don't really spend time with them, but we're going to stereotype because we want to find resolve within ourselves. Now, now catch, catch where we're going with this. When you've been in your in-group long enough, you develop what's called in-group bias, in-group bias is to give preferential treatment to those part, uh, uh, to those parts of your in-group or those who are like me. In-group bias is, is to give preferential treatment, and, and all of us do it on some level. Understand, I'm not picking on you. We, we all do it. It's our natural slide, right? It's an in-group bias. Let's, let's evaluate what some of this in-group bias looks like. Ask yourself this, am I more comfortable with those like me? Am I more inclined to spend time socially with those like me? Am I more patient with those like me in group biases? I give the benefit of the doubt quicker to those who are like me. Look at number five. I extend more grace when a mistake is made by those who are like me. They're in my in group it's easier for me to communicate with those who are like me. I assume I will get along easier with those who are like me. I am more willing to go out of my way to help those like me. I possess more positive assumptions. Hey, there's one. I possess more positive assumptions about those like me. This is my in-group. This is what I'm familiar with. Now, if you're thinking, well, I don't treat my my out-group any different than my in-group, you're lying to yourself because we all do it. All of us do it, right? Much of it is subconscious. We don't even know that we're doing it. Now, the opposite of in-group bias is what is known as out-group discrimination. In-group bias, out-group discrimination. Let's look at some, some of these. Let's, let's evaluate ourselves. I am less comfortable with those not like me. I am less inclined to spend time socially with those not like me. I am less patient with those not like me. Those who are not in my in-group, I have very little patience for them. I give the benefit of the doubt slower to those not like me. Look at number five. I express less grace when when mistakes are made by those not like me. It is more difficult for me to communicate with those not like me. I don't assume that I will get along with those not like me. I am less willing to go out of my way to help those who are not like me. And the last one, I possess less positive assumptions about those less like me. Now we have to remember that this outgroup discrimination this is our resting position right this is the resting place of our soul why because sin has corrupted us scripture tells us that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick and so if 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 let me give you some examples if you're constantly bashing millennials as being lazy and entitled, when you, in fact, have very little information besides what you've seen on headlines, then that is out-group discrimination. I mean, that, that, that's just what that is. For example, if your group is... Uh, if your in-group is Democrat... Uh, hang on, we're going to wade into some murky waters. If your in-group is Democrat, then you have more patience for... Uh, politics that come out of the, Democratic, the Democrat Party. You had more patience when President uh, Obama was in office. You extended more grace. Why? Because that's your in-group bias, right? There's in-group bias and there's out-group discrimination. You had a more positive assumption of President Obama when he was in office. But if, the, if, if Democrat is your out-group Then you came up with something like the birther movement. You see how that works? See, when when it's your in group, now I'm gonna get to the other side, so don't, don't turn it off. When it's your in group, there are certain assumptions. You give more grace, you give the benefit of the doubt. When it's your out group, all of those things are removed. So if your in group is Republican, then you have more grace for President Trump you are more likely to give him the benefit of the doubt. You are more likely to be patient and to assume the best. But if Republican is your out-group, then you go after an impeachment. That should have never happened. I am an equal opportunity offender. Okay, welcome to reveal. In-group and out-group. In-group bias, out-group discrimination. We all do it, sometimes even subconsciously. Here's here's what I need us to know. It is possible, it is possible to lose the ability to to judge rationally and to see opposing views because of in-group biases and out-group discrimination. Because it's all that we know. When all I know is my in-group, then I miss whatever my out-group is trying to communicate. In-group bias, out-group discrimination. Now, obviously this applies to people of various ethnicities and people of various cultures. This means that we can be racially insensitive and not be a racist. Now listen, there are people who are racist in this country, and we'll get to that later in this series, but you can be racially insensitive and not be a racist. In other words, you may not have racial hate in your heart, but it is possible that your in-group bias has caused your out group to feel discriminated against because they 've never been heard, because their, 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 their story has been muted, or we 've dismissed their thoughts or their feelings, and the truth of it is, we just don 't know them, we don 't understand what they 're going through, where they 're at, because they are our outgroup. because we respond differently. To in-group and out-group. It means that those who are in our in-group naturally have an advantage when they're dealing with you, right? Those that you are more patient towards, those who you will assume the best of, those who you are more likely to go out of your way, those who you are, uh, have more positive feelings about, they naturally have an advantage when dealing with you. Now think, think, think of it this way. Think of it this way. Um, If you're right-handed, which is the majority of people in this country, then you are in a right-handed in-group. We could say that, all right? You're in a right-handed in-group. And because culture is predominantly right-handed, you have benefited from a right-handed in-group bias. You're like, well, I don't know what that means. I'm going to explain to you. Culture was made for right-handed people. If you're a left-handed person, you remember sitting at a desk in school. They're all made for right-handed people. Right? We could say that is right-handed bias. It's right-handed in-group bias. Have you ever seen a left-handed person try to write their name? They have to be a contortionist. right? Spiral notebooks, made for right-handed people. Scissors, right-handed people. A guitar. If you're a guitar player, you can go into any guitar uh, uh, store, any music store, and pick out 200 guitars. But if you're a lefty, your guitar is in the back room, under a sheet, still in the box with no strings on it. If if you're a baseball player and you try to find a mitt, especially a catcher's mitt, and you're a lefty, good luck. The reality of it is, is that culture was made for right-handed people. Firearms geared towards right-handed people. Now listen, 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 listen. It doesn't mean it was necessarily made against left-handed people, right? We weren't trying to hurt left-handed people. It's just that it was created from a right-handed dominant culture in group, And so it was naturally created for those who were in their in-group, right-handed people. Now, that means that if you're always among your in-group, right-handed people, you will not understand the frustration of those in your out-group, left-handed people. You won't won't be able to to enter into their frustration. You won't understand left-hand discrimination because all you know is your right-hand in-group. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make you bad for being right-handed. No, of course not. Uh, but, but does it mean that you have an advantage in culture? Yeah. That's just a reality. Not recognizing that you have an advantage, does that change the effects for those who are left-handed? No, not at all. Their disadvantage still stands. We may deny the struggle of our left-handed uh, uh, friends, but we don't really... There's not anything we can do about it. We deny it because we've never lived it. We've never experienced it because all we know is right-handed living. So let's just ask a question. What can we do about this? We're talking about option three, right? The world has given us option one. Are you for us? Option two, are you against us? And you see it all over the news. And we're saying that when you're given the choice between one and two, choose option three. What can we do to move forward? Let me give you just, I think, five ideas. The first one is we can do this. We can acknowledge what you don't know. Acknowledge that what you know, I will acknowledge what I know, is my in-group bias. Because it's predominantly what I do. It's predominantly where I'm at. It's predominantly the people that I spend time with. So let's start by acknowledging what you don't know. And that means recognizing blind spots. A blind spot is the difference between your intent and your actions. So in other words, I don't intend to be insensitive, but that's how I come across. Right? You can be racially insensitive and not be a racist. It's a blind spot. I I don't want to be offensive, but that's how I come across. Here's a challenge. Ask someone who's close to you. Now, that may be difficult because if you ask someone close to you who's in your in-group, they're probably going to give you the answer that you want to hear, so you may need to figure out how you can branch out. But uh, may- maybe ask someone what that looks like. Ask someone, are there things that I do that are offensive? Are there things that I say that I think are funny but they're actually offensive to, to some people in my out-group but because they've lived with it for so long, they just kind of laugh it off and they just deal with it? Here's something that we can do. We can rename those people as your brothers and sisters. Now, th- this is important. We can rename those people as your brothers and sisters. Look at what Matthew 27 says, uh, verse 37 through 39. And, and, and you, can, you can read all of that on your own if, if you'd like. But it is the, what is the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then in verse 39, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, remember that word neighbor, because that's going to be important First John 4:20, Whoever claims to love God and yet hates His brother or sister is a liar." Now, now listen. neighbor, brother, sister. These are labels of love and labels of inclusion and labels of unity, right? Labels of family. When, when we rename someone with derogatory terms or just as those people, Um, that is a term of division. It's a term of separation. And so when we label label someone with something other than neighbor, brother, or sister, then we have devalued them as a person. We've shelved their ideas and, and their thoughts, and we've dismissed their story. And we actually give ourselves permission to do that because they're not like us. Because they're not a brother, they're not a sister, they're not a neighbor, they're not a friend. And so one of the things that we can begin doing is let's start to refer those people in our outgroup as our brothers and sisters. Here's number three. Give in-group love to your outgroup. Give in-group love... To your out group. That means pay attention to how forgiving you are to people in your in-group, how graceful you are, how kind you are, how supportive you are, and give that same amount of affection, grace, love, support to someone in an out-group. Now you're saying, well, well, what if I don't have anyone in my out-group? Are you saying that I should go place myself in an out-group? Yeah, you really should. You need to get out of your in-group and into an out-group and start to experience life from a different perspective. Here's one: Acknowledge and celebrate our differences. Our differences are not bad things; they're actually quite beautiful things. Listen, I know that people they like they say things like, "Well, I don't see color; I'm colorblind." I don't, I don't want to dismiss someone's culture. I don't want to dismiss someone's color. I think, I think all of us together more genuinely reflect the image of God. All colors, all cultures, right? And so let's acknowledge and let's celebrate our differences. Here, here look at this. View every conversation as an opportunity to learn. View every opportunity, every conversation as an opportunity to learn. See, it is possible that we think what we think because all that we're ever told are thoughts that are formed in our in-group biases. In other words, after 28 years of marriage, there are things that I've learned about an out-group women that I did not know before I was married because my in-group before I was married was just a single dude. After 28 years of marriage, I began to understand a different perspective, a different thought, a different feeling of what was at one time, what, what still is, what is <laughs> an out group that I just did not understand. For example, um, uh, I never have walked to my car with the fear of being attacked or raped. I've never had lewd things shouted at me as I walked across the street. I've never had my ideas dismissed because I am female. There there, there are things that I don't understand, but I began to understand as I would view every conversation as an opportunity to learn. Look, more than anything else right now, the world needs to begin to have a conversation and stories have to be heard, and stories have to be validated, and we have to enter into this. Enter into their story. Enter into their struggle. It's time to start a conversation. Hey, whatever your out-group is, it may not even have anything to do with race. Maybe it has to do with age, right? Maybe it has to do with education. Maybe it has to do with with, um, um, employment. I don't know. Maybe it has to do with economics. Whatever your out-group is, Can we start a conversation? Can we recognize that that we don't know what we don't know? That we all have blind spots and start a conversation to begin to understand one another? Let me let me close with this thought. Uh, Over the past three months, as the coronavirus went on, I had countless people come up to me and say things like this: What do you think God is up to? What do you think God is doing? I think God's up to something. Is God trying to get our attention? Is God mad at us? Is God punishing us? Some would even ask, is this the end of the world? On social media, all kinds of pastors now digging through the book of Revelation saying, you know, the the end times is coming, it's coming. People would ask me all the time, what do you think God is doing? Here's what I find disturbing. In the last three weeks, not one person has asked me, what do you think God is doing in our country? As if God is silent and absent in what we are viewing currently. Not one person has asked me, and I think God is up to something. I think there are certainly parts of what we're seeing that are ugly and violent and evil, and those are those who have seized the opportunity for self-gain and self-promotion and looting and and all that violence and, and street takeovers. No, right? That needs to go away and it needs to be dealt with. But let's not lose what is taking place because I think God is doing something among us. Let's not miss God in the midst of this because God is just not observing the chaos. I think God is in the midst of the chaos. Let me show you what I mean. Ephesians 2, starting verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by what? By the blood of Of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made, now catch this, who has made two groups one, and has done what? And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside his flesh, uh, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. He his purpose was to create in himself, catch this, one new humanity out of the two thus making peace. Look at the next passage. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Last part. Consequently, Because of all that, he says, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You catch the imagery, what God is trying to accomplish. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by His Spirit. Hey, if you want to know what God is up to, just just look at verse 15. His purpose, this is what God is up to, was and is to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two. This is what hopefully we can be a part of. This is what is hopefully happening in the chaos. Now, Paul was talking about Jews and Gentiles who had very little patience for one another, right? In-group, out-group. Us versus them. Those on the inside and those who are on the outside. And God said, I'm going to eliminate the two. I'm going to remove the dividing wall. I'm going to remove the hostility, and I'm going to make one new humanity. Now, we can transfer this thought culturally, to, to, to anything that we are experiencing today. That it is the heart of God, the heart of God, to remove the dividing line between our in-groups and our out-groups. It is the heart of God to remove the idea of us versus them. It is the heart of God, right? This is the gospel of reconciliation. What does gospel mean? It means good news. The good news of reconciliation That Jesus came to reconcile the separation. The separation between uh, God, the separation with myself, and the separation with the rest of humanity. And so listen, yes, there is conflict, and yes, there is hostility, but, but God is looking to take our broken, fragmented pieces and begin to mend the broken shards into something quite beautiful. And how does he do it? Look at verse 13, how it all started. But now in Christ Jesus. See, those who are kingdom-minded people, we have a responsibility to tear down the dividing wall between our in-groups and our out-groups. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. God is using this opportunity to bring people to himself. Hey, we've already proved through countless years of history that humanity cannot solve the human problem. Right? This is a heart condition. I believe God can use this and is using this as a time to wake people up and to call them to himself that he may to start, that he may start to, to, to tear down the dividing line and that he may call people unto himself as one new humanity. Uh, Kintsugu Kintsugi uh, is a Japanese method for repairing broken uh, ceramics uh, with a special lacquer mixed with gold, silver, and platinum. Uh, the philosophy, we'll have a picture of it there, the philosophy behind this uh, technique is to recognize the history of the piece uh, and to visibly incorporate the repair into a new piece instead of just trying to disguise it like it never happened. The, the, the beauty of the art is that they actually take the brokenness and they put the brokenness on display and often because of what it's filled with and because of, of the time it takes to put it back together, it is actually more valuable after repair than it was before the repair. You know where I'm going with this. Listen, Satan has worked overtime to tear us and break us and to shatter us into all types of shards. But now God, the great masterpiece creator, is beginning to put us back together. But he's not using gold and he's not using silver, he's using blood. And he puts the pieces together and when it's done, it is something quite stunning. See, I think that's what God is doing right now. Listen, just don't focus on the outgroup of violence that's driving you nuts, right? Just don't focus on your in-group ideologies. We're going to have to start conversation, and that's what this series is about. We're going to have to start having conversations because I think God is beginning to put some things back together, and when it's done, we will be beautiful. And I hope that you will be a part of it. So, hey, when you're given the option between one and two, choose option three. Will you pray with me? Lord, there's a conversation that needs to be had in our country, in our churches, and uh, I want us to be a part of that. In order for us to do that effectively, um, I would ask that you would give us ears to hear Give me words to speak that are only edifying and usable for the moment. I pray you would give us ears to hear and not fill in the gaps with what we think is being implied, where we think it may be going, what we what someone may think that that I mean that we would have ears to hear. And Holy Spirit, that you would stir us, you would move us. That if hey, if we need to repent, let us repent. I think all of us need to recognize our blind spots, and all of us need to recognize what we don't know, all of us need to recognize our in-group biases because upon recognizing them, we can begin to deal with them. And so would you allow us, Reveal Church, to be a part in building a bridge, to be a part in putting the pieces back together, calling humanity under, into one humanity, calling people back to Jesus, our great hope, and our great Redeemer, Jesus, the Reconciler. That is my prayer. That is my hope. And so use the next couple weeks to really stir us and to challenge us and use it to allow a conversation to begin, is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Reveal, I'm sorry we had to uh, postpone the Great, <laughs> the great reopening, but uh, we will get it back on the schedule, and I look forward to seeing you soon. We have some pretty cool stuff for you that we've been working on. Uh, it may actually give us a little time to finish some of the stuff we've been working on, so you'll get its full effect. God bless you. If you need anything, we're always here. Please reach out to me, marty at revealvineyard.com, or information at info at revealvineyard.com, and uh, we are here to help you in whatever way is needed. God bless you. See you soon.